Greetings and salutations. This is the Gas Giants coming at you from the outer galaxy with an invitation to enter the heliocentric world. I am Gav, speaking to you from Porto, and if we go on the Recherche de Tom Perdue, he's over there in Boston. Saturn. Saturn. We are the Gas Giants. Come on. We are the ga- yeah, we are the gas giants. Uh, yeah, yeah, so Jupiter and Saturn. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that which makes me the bringer of jollity. Sure. So, <laughs> yeah, and uh, Saturn is the bringer of old age. Yeah, that looks about right, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, the reason why we've uh, why we've gone uh, interplanetary on you for this show is because. Uh, Kind of one of the purposes of the of this podcast is to talk about things that we like and to somehow give people an introduction to some of the things that we like. Now, both Tom and I like Sun Ra, and at the same time, we're aware that that discography is pretty forbidding when you look at it from the outside. Where to start? No. Exactly, it's just like Zappa or you know any of these any of these these Buckethead, <laughs> yeah, Buckethead, yeah, great example, yeah, uh, and uh, they they sort of uh, they they produced so much stuff that it's kind of difficult knowing where to start, right? And it can it can be a bit off putting as well. Well, yes, and I, I, I think it's with. Sun Ra, it's especially difficult because I'm not sure that many of these albums were very carefully made. Uh, mm. That and that and maybe I'm, I'm I've had this I haven't seen them live, but I've got this suspicion from what I've read, what I've learned from you, what I've listened to on the recordings is that they're actually better live band than they are LP band. <laughs> Well, uh, well, we'll get into that, but we should actually first introduce the artifact. So we have decided <laughs> yes. that uh, the, probably a good place to start to, because, yeah, it, it, is, it is difficult, is the album <laughs> Nothing Is. Okay, it's, an, it's a place to start, let's say that. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a place to, not, to yeah. start, and it's probably a better place to start than most. The thing is, uh, I was actually at a, uh, a Sonra Orchestra gig uh, last year. They came to uh, the to Porto, and um, I was I was very very encouraged to see uh, a lot of young people there. Yeah, um, people who could only have encountered Sonra's music uh, after the moment when Sonny himself had actually uh, left the planet. Yes. And so, you know, power to them. And so, you know, whatever way that you actually have managed to encounter this music and this, this phenomenon that was Sun Ra, uh, you've, you've done the right thing. You know, this is the, not no judgment here at all. Yeah, however it works. I mean, there's, there's a deep, deep mystery. Well, there are several deep mysteries here that are very attractive in their way um, mm. about Sun Ra. Um, and and surface details that are obviously very attractive and uh, and, and unusual, just unique. Mm. Um, 
that uh, yes, it, it's it's appropriate and reasonable that that younger people would be getting into it for that reason. Um, yeah. But yeah, how to approach the catalogue? I don't know. Just pull up stuff on yeah. on, on Spotify and see what you find. Well, uh, Sun Ra himself claimed to uh, to be not of this earth and to and to come from Saturn. And I was kind of thinking about that in in relation to these to these recordings that maybe we shouldn't treat them as discs, but uh, but as as kind of artifacts. Like if you know if you can imagine, uh, you know, uh, a long time in, in prehistoric times, you know. Like, uh, not quite mon- one million years BC, but a little bit after that. So, so basically, all the dinosaurs have been scared away by Raquel Welsh in a bikini made out of suede. So, 999,999 years BC, maybe. Yeah. And suddenly, this alien spaceship arrives. And obviously, all the cavemen are going to be like, you know, uh, doing drawings of it and uh, and sort of trying to record it somehow. Yeah. And then the spaceship departs, and this is what we're left with. And I think these recordings are kind of like that. They're artifacts that were left by a, a higher intelligence for another planet. That's that's fair. The um, I honestly believe that that it may be a very big disadvantage to us that we were educated in Britain at the time that we were when we try to approach Sun Ra. Hmm. You know, my, my education like yours is uh, mostly a sort of uh, post-enlightenment rationalist sort of thing hmm. where we yeah. look at the monuments of European culture and mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, in the in, in the humanity side of it, and we believe in science, and mm. there's a and, and there are there are well established, very well established modes of thought that yeah. are used to examine knowledge, whether it's uh, whether it's in the arts or in the sciences, uh-huh. and these are, you know, they're well known, and they teach you that stuff. Now, yeah, it. Clearly is the case that Sun Ra is presenting a kind of science and a kind of knowledge that is not going to make sense if you approach it using these tools. From that angle, yes, yes, exactly. Right. There's, I think that this is part of the power, and we could talk about this power from a sort of like a political Mm. point of view later maybe but mm-hmm. uh it, it's a how do i put it it seems like almost a almost a deliberate act to mm-hmm. to have to have produced this mythology and mm-hmm. the the orchestra itself to have created something like a cult which mm-hmm. you know his orchestra was to be in it you had to be pretty much part of it a commune mm. that had very, very strict rules. Um, mm. And th- this was somehow integrated within what? It was integrated within Amer- the tradition of American jazz, but in a ludicrously yes. eclectic way. I mean, quite yeah. unlike almost anyone else. It was integrated within 
well, actually, some somehow standing out apart from uh, the the various black emancipation movements. Yeah, exactly. With but but simultaneous same, with but simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, and I mean certainly the the exact period that we that this record was made in, he was starting to to be taken on board by a, 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 a sort of renaissance of the black arts in that particular area of New York. Yes, and where and, he found himself. And there had been, uh, uh, I, th- I this is something I wish I knew more about, but there have been a variety of strains of traditions, I guess, in which, um, so for example, black Islam, which had involved, mm-hmm. and, and here I'm not talking about the, you know, people who have come to the United States as, uh, as Muslims, no, no, no. but people who've been from, you know, from slave descendants, slaves or descendants from slaves who've turned to Islam. Uh, the nation of Islam you're talking about, yes. That's another aspect uh, the yeah. nation of Islam is more political uh, as a uh, as a black emancipation uh, uh-huh. organization, but and which which seems to relate also to. Did you know anything about the tradition of uh, of black Freemasonry? Yes, yes, exactly. Which of course Sun Ra um, owed a lot of his education to. Yes, yes. He's when yeah. when he was a, when he was young and in uh, still in Alabama, mm-hmm. there was a. Uh, a black Freemasons hall or whatever you call it, temple, or what, temple where they had a uh, a decent library, yeah. And he uh, and, and he and he was a big reader. He was a little bit of a yeah. What's what's the word for that? Uh, a, a shy autodictat. Uh, oh yeah. Yes. Not 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 sort of like yeah. He was quite happy to to turn to books. Yes. When he was young. Yes, and that's certainly yeah. autodidact. Yeah, but um, they're very, very much a sort of uh, very curious and searching nature about everything. Yes, I need mean, uh, so we we should we should actually try to define one or two things here. Yes, just to move it along. So um, Sun Ra was, although he uh, attempted to conceal this information and you know, destroy certificates and all the rest of it, he was actually or. Uh, he bodily arrived on the planet on May the twenty second, nineteen fourteen. Yeah, in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, uh, which was uh, uh, absolutely at the heart of of segregation back then. Yeah, and uh, he uh, he was brought up, I think, mostly by his grandmother. I think his his parents separated either shortly before or shortly after his birth. And um, that's right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember reading that somewhere. He showed musical talent very early. He managed to managed to also get an education largely through that. Uh, he also, uh, I think, there's there's some kind of agricultural college he went to to that study a, music. That was a bit later, weird, but he, but one of this one of the stories I. Uh, I saw this. So, um, what's his name? Somebody called Schwed, uh or something. Uh-huh. I don't know how you pronounce it. Has pieced together a very detailed John F. Schwed. Oh yeah, yeah, the, um, yes, uh, John F. Schwed. Yes, I've yes. got the book here. So he's pieced together a very detailed um, biography. But apparently, according mm. so, thanks to him for that. Uh, but again, bear in mind what we're talking about here is 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 a. Uh, 
an analysis of Sun Ra from our Eurocentric point that's of view. That's true, right? yes. So that's what, yes. that's what we're involved in when we're reading that biography. Mm. Um, and Sun Ra himself was, was, uh, took pains, as you've already mentioned, mm. to distance himself from that way of thinking about himself. Yeah. To construct this mystery, and this happened early on. Uh. Um, but yes, no, he, it, it, from, from the point of view, so, so that is, again, it's just like a given. We're looking at things through, through our, our Euro, uh, educated yes. point stance, let's say perspective, um, yeah. stance. Then he was quite active in local music before going off to college. Yes, uh, that's in, true. Including as a band leader. Uh, so yeah. the, the evidence was that he was, and, and down, down there, even though this was uh, this was heavy segregated Alabama at the time, there was a market for black musicians playing uh, playing to white audiences, to playing to yeah. um, you know, so middle class or upper class white audiences, yeah. and there was money to be made that way. So, yeah. and he was uh, and he was quite successful at it for for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, then of course he he went to went to college. But he dropped out of out of college after a year. Yeah. Um, although that's uh, he uh, well, one of the reasons given for this was the was the abduction story. Yes, was that um, and it is uh, Sved points out that it is actually the uh, only the second recorded abduction story in America. Yeah. So it's uh, there's a, a couple called Hill. What do we mean? Not, before we go too far, on that, before it, what do we mean by the abduction story? Alien abduction. Um, although it wasn't actually physical abduction, he uh, he he had an out of body experience. Where he claims where he to have take, had. He, where he claims to have had an out of body experience, where he was taken to another place and yeah. uh, met alien beings who explained to him that he was not of this world and he was not from there right. and that's why he had such trouble fitting in with everything and uh that you know he should continue on his way of playing music to uh, to enlighten the world yes now if i understand right nobody knows what really happened no right so this is a bit like um you know the ex jesus of philip k dick something definitely happened but mm. Uh, but we don't really know what. And that's actually somehow to everybody's advantage, don't you think? Certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, so the, the idea that somebody could travel sort of like somehow by some sort of uh, un- undis- undescribed or undefined, undescribed yeah. process, travel to another planet, um, he communicated through music to his mm. uh, alien interlocutors and they managed mm. to communicate back to him that mm. and this was a story he stuck to for the rest of his life that yeah. music is the language of humans for of all humans on this planet mm. and is therefore how humans have to represent themselves to the rest of the universe mm. now yeah what a what a wonderful positive unifying theory Absolutely. that is. Absolutely, right? Yeah, and and, and 
goodness knows. I don't, I don't know when this was first recorded. Do you know? I mean, his account of this. His account of it seems to have come, been recorded sometime in the 50s. Mm-hmm. I think the, there's, uh, there's, uh, it, it says here that it's supposed to have happened in um, 1936 or 37, but uh, apparently he said that uh, nobody, nobody remembers him talking about it until the 50s. Yeah, uh, the musician's closest associates cannot date the story any earlier than 1952. Mm. See, Barney and Betty Hill, who uh, who was, was supposed to have been abducted by a UFO, was 1961. Anyway, and the and the possibility whatever, the possibility whatever, exists that he ex- that he experienced exactly this in oh, some yes. sort of a in some sort of a um, sort of psychotic experience or the possibility exists that it uh-huh. actually happened that he that did go and talk to uh, talk to aliens well let's face it it was certainly very real to him presumably yes um, he's he, he's somebody who i, I mean I, i'm sort of astonished by the uh, by the by the bravery of this man yes you know, yeah, to I come mean, out with stuff like that, that's, the, that's really... His, his, um, his, his response to getting drafted in the Second World War was another example of, mm. you know, real bravery. I mean, he, he suffered quite a lot of adversity as a result of that. Yeah, well, he's, he suffered a certain amount of prison time as well. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so then, uh, released, released from prison um, towards the end of the war, he... Um, he, he basically, he—I uh, don't think he had any any family left to look after back in Alabama. He had no reason to stay in Birmingham, and so he headed for Chicago. And in Chicago, he got the basic nucleus of the orchestra around him, who was uh, Pat Patrick uh, and John Gilmore, tenor player, and uh, later on Marshall Allen. Yeah, and Marshall Allen has, has spoken about uh, about um, quite a, quite extensively about how he eventually got to play with Sun Ra, and it's a pattern that Sun Ra repeated for just about all of the musicians who came to him because Sun Ra claimed that he he didn't actually have a band; he was just watching the creator's band for him. Mm-hmm. And the creator would send him musicians, and he'd find out how to use them. And um, he'd give somebody something to do, like, you know, after they'd hung around at the house for a bit. It sounds like joining the Hell's Angels, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you get uh, and yeah. After a while, he might write you a bit of music. I was, okay, play that. No, you're playing it wrong. And <laughs> then eventually, if he kept coming back and said, well, what am I doing wrong? Then, uh, then you know, you might get a little bit further and you might... And this, this whole process happened with Marshall Allen, that uh, it was a long time before he actually wrote him out a, a, a full piece of music to play. And then, then even longer before Marshall Allen could play it, to uh, Sun Ra's rather oblique astru- obl- instructions, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you're operating what's essentially a commune, then mm. it, it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it's kind of like the the musical uh, equivalent of the leap of faith, really, isn't it? Hmm. You know, any kind of any kind of sort of yeah, cult or religion or anything is okay. There are here are three uh, impossible things. Do you believe them? Yes, I do. Okay, you're in. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, it's kind of kind of the um, but also the musical there's but also it, it takes time to to demonstrate that you're ready to give up on the things that you have to give up on to join, mm. um, sex, drugs, yeah. and women. Well, well that, 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 alcohol, that came a bit women. later. Yeah. That all comes a bit later. But but, um, but but even before he 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 went to Chicago, he'd already demonstrated more than once that he was a a, a pretty competent band organizer and gig oh, yeah. getter. So I mean, he, yeah. he. I mean, that's not everybody's um, strength, mm. is it? Oh, of course. Hold on, we've we've missed out one very, uh, very important bit when you're talking about band leading and everything. Because of course he didn't he didn't just go to Chicago and form and start forming the orchestra. Before that, there was a stint playing as Fletcher Henderson's rehearsal pianist. Yeah. Very, very important, because Fletcher Henderson was uh, somebody who was playing a style of jazz, which at that stage was probably going a bit out of fashion. It was uh, it was swing. Uh, and, I mean, the Fletcher Henderson band in the 30s had been one of the, you know, one of the big bands like Basie Ellington and, all this, and Fletcher Henderson. But by this stage, he, he didn't, uh, it wasn't quite such a sort of, slick uh, organization and Fletcher Henderson had had a, had a bad car crash so uh, he was also keen to pass on a lot of the piano duties and rehearsing the band mm. over to somebody else and this was uh, this was where Sun Ra came in now I think and yeah. he would have learnt there exactly how to drill a band, exactly how to... He was writing a lot of the arrangements as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about the musical aspects. The, um, mm. the, the, I mean, there's a producer role involved as, as well, which mm. is you're going to have to figure out where you get the capital that you, so that you can, you can cover the startup costs, mm. get gigs, pay your musicians... And you know, just do all those transactions. There's a lot of there's a lot of organizing there, and mm -hmm. not everybody's good at that. But Sun Ra was clearly good at that, even back in his uh, Alabama days. It just yeah, he was he was uh, and he'd already learned the skills. The other thing that's interesting about the Fletcher Henderson story uh -huh. is that the the big bands back in the uh, certainly. The South, when you got the, the black musicians playing for the white audiences, mm. part of the deal was that they were extremely well presented. Yes, very disciplined. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it was it was uh, this is all very polite and very uh, you know very mm. highest possible etiquette. And I think that 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 sort of demand of discipline and mm. you know a, a attention to detail uh, yeah. for for an entire entire band, somebody has to be in charge, right? Somebody yeah. has to say, no, no, that's not good enough. Fix it, or you're out, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's an authority in the band there that so that somebody must have been, or that he would at least have witnessed if he hadn't actually had to do any of it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So anyway, I'm uh, believe me, I'm I'm trying to trying to skip over big bits of history here so that we don't end up with a three hour podcast. But which because this is a very very deep subject that we could spend hours. Over. Yeah, but I don't know anything about it, so that helps. Anyway, the orchestra starts out as a sort of slightly strange. Uh, Slightly strange big band. I mean, big bands are going out of fashion by this point in yes. the 50s. Yes. You know, um, so it's it's not so much, actually, it's not so much a big band. It's more kind of a collective because but it is the a big exact. Band. But it, always, yeah, it, always but it is was. a big band. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, so but, it is well, a collective at the same time. This is uh, one of the things that gets really, really obviously extremely strange when the free jazz era comes along hmm. you've got an orchestra that's free jazz hmm. doing free jazz how uh yeah those those are impossible that was the only one yeah. and they're impossible that's an impossible mix isn't it you can't have uh, well that many musicians doing free jazz I think I have an explanation. Okay, we we should touch on one thing here: the the whole communal living thing. They didn't start out living communally. That's uh, that happened when they moved to New York, and it happened to when they moved to New York because uh, rents were a lot higher than in Chicago, yeah. and um, there was also the problem of finding somewhere to practice. And they managed to get uh, space in a building which would offer both accommodation and a place to practice. And so it was just simpler for everybody to live at this uh, this building. Then that also meant that it meant that he could call rehearsals whenever he wanted. And Sun Ra had this other thing, which was that all uh, every note you play has uh has actually meaning has weight so that basically there's nothing is a rehearsal and this this is also something about uh, about what you were talking about free jazz this maybe takes us a little too f uh, far afield sun ra says in an interview actually i don't play free music because there is no freedom in the universe if you were to be free you could just play no matter what and it doesn't come back to you but you see it always does come back to you that's why i warn my musicians be careful about what you play every note every beat be aware that it comes back to you and if you play something you yourself don't understand then that's bad for you and it's bad for the people too so you've got this this thing that there is no difference between rehearsal and performance yeah. you're always on stage and this this then uh gets um gets driven to to greater heights when uh, shortly after moving to New York, in the area that they're living, which is a very a sort of very bad area, uh, a bar opens called the Slugs. Yeah. And just before this recording, that we're, we are we are going to get this get to this recording eventually, just before this recording gets made. So this record the uh, the the album Nothing Is is May. 1966 so in march 1966 they managed to do a deal with this bar that's just opened 
uh, in the Lower East Side called the Slugs. And they'll, they'll take Monday night because Monday night is when all the other clubs are closed. So they'll actually end up uh, being the one place where uh, they can play and where all the other musicians who've been working the rest of the week, they can come to the Slugs and hear them on their night off. And the band sometimes is rehearsing in their, in their building and then right up to the moment when the gig starts and they'll walk down the street playing and walk into the slugs and start doing the show. And there's no difference between the rehearsal and the show, you see. But it's also good business. You remember I said? Yeah, of course. Sun Ra does seem like he was pretty, pretty sharp on that angle. Oh, yeah. No, this is definitely that. Yeah. That remark that you quoted is is really interesting. It's one of those that that I would argue is shows Sunra's gift for for saying things in a way that isn't isn't immediately obvious what it means. Hmm. That's deliberately uh I'm assuming deliberately, I don't know. Yeah. Um oh yeah. Uh intended to be open to interpretation to some degree. Uh, mm. So what could it mean? For the, On the one hand, it means don't just play anything. You've got to be careful. You've got to listen, yeah. and it has to mean something. Yeah. Uh, what does it mean that it comes back to you? Well, that could be a fairly banal meaning. Like if you play terrible, you know, that's uh. people are going to remember. Uh, yeah. And whether it's here in the band in rehearsal, uh, people are going to remember. Your bandmates yeah. remember if you do it in performance, people are going to remember. It's going to be a mark against you. It could be something yeah. as simple as that, uh, but it's all sort of dressed up in a in a in a in a, in a, in a sort of sen- in a way that's a little bit like the elevating way that uh, that preachers sometimes use to make uh, their congregants feel more important. Right? Yeah, it's conferring responsibility. Right? Yes. It's not, you don't have, it's not just a um, matter of yourself getting into heaven. We have a responsibility here on earth to each other and to represent uh, God to our community or whatever. It, it, there's a, it's very slightly mysticized, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and one of the things that I've thought is so interesting about this idea of being a band leader, dealing with creative improvisers. Mm. is right there in the sentence I just gave you, there's a contradiction. Leading Mm. a band of creative improvisers. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how how do you get out of that? Uh, We need some way of, well, we need, (laughs) the band leader, the band needs, Mm -hmm. the audience needs, the situation needs Mm -hmm. some way of achieving some sort of regularity, some sort of coherence, something that, mm. for example, you can put a brand name on. The orchestra has a repeatability to it somehow. And yet uh, we're going to provide the freedom for this real improvising creativity. Mm. Uh, and one of the possibilities there is to use a language of that's more or less mystified mm. that 
is going to have some some constraining meaning, but still leave plenty of uh, plenty of space for the individual musicians uh, to to work their way through it to music. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, very much so. Uh, I mean, interesting was in one of the one of the records that I I presented to you uh, around Christmas. Uh, there was a Joe Harriet record, mm. uh, which had them uh, experimenting with with uh, what they called free form jazz. Yeah. Then, and there's uh, if you read the the sleeve notes, there's uh, the whoever was writing the sleeve notes asks Joe Harriet, "How on earth do you organise?" Uh, you know, free music. And he said, well, you just have to spend a long time rehearsing till you get to kind of know what you're all, you know, uh, kind of which direction you may be going to go or be able to adapt to whatever something somebody else is playing. That's one approach. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, if you look at the the rehearsal schedule that the orchestra went through, I would suggest yeah. that was part of Sun Ra's approach. It most certainly was. I mean, that that band had uh, had more uh, cohesiveness of its roster than than mm. most. Uh, yeah. But compare that with with Derek Bailey's feeling was like oh. it was that once you've played once or twice with a certain musician that's about it you know you can't really do much more because it becomes predictable after that so then it's oh. not free right okay yeah i don't know <laughs> it's a different approach you know? well yeah of course sonra objected to the use of the word free at all uh-huh. but yeah i see what you mean he preferred discipline Yes. Which is uh, a word that comes up a lot in his discussions of music. Yeah, we're going to have to uh, think about the... Yes, I'll come back to that. Hold that thought. Mm. Okay, well, listen, we should we should actually attack this album here. Because, uh, okay, so what happened is that somewhere in, in the midst of, uh, of all this uh, playing gigs in New York and all the rest of it, Sun Ra ran into uh, a guy... Uh, or guy probably ran into him called uh, Bernard Stolman, and Bernard Stolman was a a lawyer who had just discovered a passion for free jazz. Uh, his other passion was for Esperanto, and he'd uh, set up a, a a record company the idea of promoting Esperanto. Uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, this is uh, this was the attempt to uh, establish a world language, uh, which, you know, to invent a completely uh, artificial language which had no culture to it or anything like that, that had just been made of bits of every other language. Yeah, it was, it was a made-up human language that was going to sort of like democratize international mm. communication in the future because it would give nobody an, an, an particular an advantage. Yeah. It's a very good idea, actually. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was never going to fly, obviously, but yeah, it's a nice idea. Well, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think we should maybe 
do this podcast in Esperanto. <laughs> that would that would probably increase our audience size. You know, we would yeah. have, we would have something unique going for those Esperanto enthusiasts around the world. <laughs> yeah, the, the problem. I listen. Uh, just as a sidebar here, if you speak Esperanto and uh, you know, please drop a, a con, uh, comment in the uh, on the Substack page. In we would love to hear from you. In Esperanto, yes. Of course. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, well, it was uh, it was an idea. It was a bit more fashionable in the um, beginning of the 60s. It did uh, did gain a certain amount of... Uh, gain a certain amount of it, of miles, uh, media miles. But, uh, yeah, so he'd, he'd set this company up, and uh, then he was sort of looking around and thought, well, okay, I've... Uh, Put out records in Esperanto. Now, what else could I do? This is why the uh, the the company was called ESP Disc. Oh, really? Which, yeah, which everybody else thought was something to do with extrasensory perception, but mm. it's actually short for Esperanto. <laughs> and he recorded uh, some early Albert Isla and one or two other things. One or two of the sort of uh, there was a, a a band called Pearls Before Swine. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think the Fugs as well, and you know, one or two sort of, sort of slightly more out there uh, artists, and eventually, of course, he came across Sun Ra and uh, decided to uh, to the pair of them managed to cook up a deal where they uh, where this, he started to put out um, Sun Ra records. Of course, Sun Ra had already in the fifties founded his own record company. L Saturn and uh there's oh my god this would be a huge sidebar if we're going to start talking about actual Sun Ra record yeah I think it's just okay a, a couple of sentences they made these records themselves they sold them at gigs uh various band members painted the sleeves themselves mm before handing them out, they are a record collector's delight. You know, there's, <laughs> they're all, obviously they're now trading for, for and thousands. Notorious for having incorrect sleep, uh, information on them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Sun, I think also Sun Ra was doing a brisk trade in uh, in making um, forty five RPM records as well at the time. Uh, there, there has been a, a, a good uh, collection of all the singles, which is which is quite interesting. Uh, that's quite easy to get hold of. So anyway, back to this one. Um, so 1966 rolls around. No, and I, actually, I do have a question about El Sato. Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but um, there were quite a lot of labels that were produced uh, that were made by uh, black artists um, a bit later in the 60s and the 70s mm -hmm. that were actually really important to uh, to getting their, their music out there at all. Yeah. Um, now, it strikes me that uh, Saturn might have been quite early example of that. I mean, uh, do you have a perspective yeah, on okay. that? I'm just guessing here. So, uh, 1957... Uh, was uh, was when it was founded. Uh, uh, do you know what they're still going? Apparently, well, sorta. I mean, in yeah. a very different format. But yes, the brand name is probably still being used. Yeah, I did actually try to uh, 
I tried to find something online about ESP disk and uh, there was uh, something up online but the link didn't work <laughs> there's uh, there's quite a lot of um, quite a lot of accusations on of uh, of Stolman for uh, some fairly fast uh, business dealings and sort of unfair contracts and stuff like that uh, I think he also tried to take over Sun Ra's back catalogue after Sonny left the planet. So, yeah. But anyway, back in 1966, all of that lay in the future. So, having having um, having recorded some stuff for uh, for ESP, Sonny was actually pretty well placed to go on a tour of. Um, of U.S. Uh, university campuses, they ended up. Um, there was a. There was. A, there was a, all of this was recorded, is what I'm trying to say. And uh, the other, there seems to have been one other group that they were out with, yeah, uh, which was a group around the singer Patty Waters. And uh, that's that actually sound looks like a really good album. Uh, I'll stick that up on the on the Substack page because that's got all kinds of people on it. That's that looks really fun. And of course, uh, this album, nothing is now. Uh, you're probably wondering why the album is called Nothing Is, but there isn't a track on it called Nothing Is. And, uh, oh, sorry, I wasn't actually. Never didn't at this point. But, but okay, okay, well, yeah, but well, just consider it Maybe now. I should Doesn't have. that seem strange? Okay, and now this is this is where we're really going to start doing trying to help you guys out here. Okay, the album was recorded in 1966. It came out in 1970. Uh, it came out, uh, and it starts with the track. Like track one, side one is Dancing Shadows. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there's there's been so many versions of this album, pirated versions, uh, reissues, all the rest of it. Uh, but that's that's basically the uh, the 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 first vinyl issue starts side uh, side one, track one, Dancing Shadows. Then there's this thing that I've got here, because I, I basically, I, I had a copy of this album and I lent it to somebody and I never got it back. So, I was like, right, I better go out if we're going to do this album, I better go out and buy a version of Sun Ra's Nothing Is. And I found this thing online called Sun Ra Orchestra Nothing Is Completed and Revisited. Hmm. Sounds good. Uh, it's uh, it's done by Hat Hut. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So yeah. what they have done is they've put the tracks into the right order. So the it starts with Sun Ra and his band from Outer Space, and Dancing Shadows is actually uh, track number six. Yeah. And when I when I heard this, it was actually a revelation because what you're listening to there is a whole evening of Sun Ra live. Yeah, and I mean, uh, this is, but this was, um, this is from, I mean, I guess they can do anything now, but uh, uh, this reorganization 
was was made a lot easier by the fact that it was on a CD, right? Or a yeah. or two LP set. But the first, yeah, the first well, version the, of it was way cut down, and you can only fit so much on each side. Yeah, although there's a certain uh, amount of evidence that the um, that some of the tracks, uh, you know, some uh, basically Sunra did a lot of chants, and uh, this it's all part of the theatrical side of the show, and a lot of those things, you know, things like. Um, Next stop Mars, or the satellite satellites are spinning, or uh, yeah, all the rest of that. That would actually usually go on for a little while on stage, yeah. but these have they, these have all already been cut down because they know we're making a record. But you see, when I first got the record with the with the different track order, it felt like I wondered if they were all recorded on the same night or in the same college. And when I actually heard it in this CD, it does actually sound like a show. You think you know, so? One yeah? Track go- yes, yeah, one track you, goes very much into have another. You, have you got some evidence of that from... from uh, well, <laughs> because I got this and then I discovered that this is not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Actually, there is something called... The College Tour, Volume 1, The Complete Nothing Is. Right. Which is two discs. Yeah. And there you actually get the 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 correct uh, track order. For and the that's first, on the ESP. That is, is it? Oh, yeah, maybe it is. Is it ESP? I can't read it. I, I'd look this up on Spotify. And it's absolutely worthless considering the cover. Yeah. Oh my goodness! The first one—I mean, the original cover is great, and this one. Oof. Yeah, but the thing is, this this comes with two. Yes, it is ESP. It comes with two discs, and in the middle of disc two, which is supposed to be a rehearsal on a sound check, although it all sounds like a show, basically. Mm. There's a track called "Nothing Is," which is beautiful. Yeah. It's absolutely standout track. Nothing is is absolutely amazing. It's a big, big piano solo uh, with a, with a band playing in the background. It's absolutely stunning. So, of course, that's only volume one as well. <laughs> yeah. So suddenly, you know, we're we're almost we're almost back to Robert Fripp the other week with his thirty-two CD version of Exposure. <laughs> yeah. 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 In the middle of this, there's a uh, of this whichever version. There's this track, Dancing Shadows, right? Which has one of the most just. Scorching tenor saxophone solos I've ever heard. Yeah, it's it's absolutely heart stopping. Yeah. Um, um, hang uh, on, Dancing Shadows. I'm going to have to go and check. This. Yeah. Yeah. Skip forward here. Well, it uh, the way it opens is interesting because. Uh, if you if you go onto the studio recording of this, yeah, this you not, can hear yeah. the whole band playing the theme. And if you listen very 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 carefully after the piano introduction, you can hear you can hear Sun Ra say "John only," mm. and then Gilmore gets up, plays the theme, and goes into the solo. <laughs> 
God does he go into that so <laughs> Wow And it really actually it's it's funny because it sounds like a way that um like I said, uh, I've said this a few times before, Coltrane was somebody who took free jazz in a certain direction. And actually, there were, back before he really got going, there were other directions were available. And this is kind of one of those directions because it's a completely free solo. There's no sort of... There's one or two moments of sort of you know high pitched squealing, but there's no real hooting and booting. It's all it's all pretty conventional, but it's it's so free and it's so so mind blowingly engaging. Yes, and in what way is that different from Coltrane? Well, Coltrane was a was a lot more a um, lot more vocal. He was into. Later on, he was into playing chords on the instrument and all the rest of it. This is uh, this is uh, a lot more linear. So you're saying this is a bit more like a bebop solo that's unhinged completely, not unhinged, uh, just yeah. unconnected completely from uh, a chord sequence or a melody. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, actually, if you look at the, um, if you look at the the. The it, from a harmonic point of view, it doesn't it doesn't go too far away from it. Do, doesn't have a lot of you know weird harm, harmonic super uh, um, uh, superimpositions. All right, you know what? Let's analyze it. It's, mm-hmm. it's not unconnected from uh, from its melody. It's actually uh, more like a uh, the sort of structure of a uh, you know an Ornette Coleman um, sort of treatment. We've got a clear set of chords, mm-hmm. and they're not that difficult. We've got uh, and we got we got a melody, and we start off from that place. Now, yeah. um, what's The bass and the drums, very simple, right? The mm. so and it's this is one of the things that's interesting about Sun Ra during this period, nineteen sixty six. Right mm. at this point, things had already been going very wild and actually kind of in some really chaotic directions in jazz, and it's sort of like the beginning of the end of jazz in a certain sense was already present. Mm. His was one of the bands that incorporated everything from the jazz tradition. Yes. Right. It's. I mean, he. They did the swing. They did the bebop. Mm. They did the free. They did the the crazy theatrical. Mm. They. I mean, he didn't want to call it free. Fine. But uh, the 
and and even beyond he was doing noise uh, i mean his his use of um uh, of noise on especially mm-hmm. when he was doing his keyboard stuff with the uh, with the electronic keyboards organs and and whatnot um it was that was the everything that had come so far right up to the very moment with the most you know, when i say so far everything in jazz and the whole tradition he incorporated into the orchestra's performances switching it around whatever whatever Ooh. worked and in this case i wouldn't i wouldn't have said that particular track is uh is 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 far out there in in the in the free jazz terrain of what was going on there uh, in 66 that uh, yeah i think you're right this is more like a um yeah. a really long sort of bebop solo that where the 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 keyboard players mm-hmm. dropped out we just got the bass and the drums mhm yeah, which uh, which also leaves you a great deal of freedom as well right know, not it op- opens the space up called. but as uh, as often happens yeah. with uh, with Sun Ra stuff, you know, the uh, we're, we're mm. sticking around on a fairly um, on a fairly simple uh, yeah. sort of framework for him for improvising. On. But yeah, this yeah, you're right. The style is is still very yeah. linear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was thinking of um, uh, of where I'd heard something like this before and i came uh and i'll put this up on the substate page as well um there's a a coltrane moment from 1960 uh at the paris olympia because basically uh miles had found himself without a tenor player and he'd rung up coltrane and talked him into coming on tour which was something that coltrane actually didn't really want to do at that exact moment in time and on the first night in Paris, uh, in front of a packed house, Coltrane uh, showed the French basically the beginnings of his new style, and they weren't really ready for it. And there's, uh, I've, uh, yeah, I'll stick this up on the um, on the Substack page because it is really interesting. There's there's a moment in Green Dolphin Street where he plays a, a solo that's just absolutely on fire. Uh, you know, the the sheets of sound are beginning to come in. All these these great you know hails of notes and uh, and you know piles of scales and everything, and um, and you can hear uh, the French audience think that he's he's back on heroin and they're all sort of whistling and stuff like this. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It was an interesting thing that, that during the sixties, uh, the European audiences were getting more and more important. Um, hmm. To the economic life of uh, of jazz musicians, uh, American jazz yes. musicians, weren't they? Yeah. Yes, uh, and that that of course happened to to Sun Ra, kind of at the end of the sixties when when he uh, he he went to Europe. It's interesting that what uh, Miles uh, in an interview, I think, sometime in the seventies, dismissed Sun Ra and the orchestra as a European band. <laughs> Yeah, there was a. I, I watched that that film called Fire Music, which is a two thousand and one documentary about free jazz. Now, I wouldn't wholeheartedly recommend it, but it's got some very very interesting bits in it. And one of them was, uh-huh. and I can't remember who it was that was saying this, but one of the guys from back then 
one of the free jazzers from the 60s, was saying that Europe was great. You could go over there and give. Hmm. And you would give and you would give. And you get paid, you get treated well, and that's all nice. But then you had to come back to New York mm-hmm. to receive. Mm-hmm. Because there wasn't any innovation going on over there. Mm. That's not quite how it was put in the movie, but basically saying you yeah. have to come back to New York in or- because that's where the that's where people were experimenting and pushing and trying and and there was you know the 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 in other words the european audiences were consumers and Mm. new york was the was the pressure cooker ah yeah yeah interesting but the you know there was really and and funnily enough it seems like to me like um the ecm record label is somehow a good symbol of this transition uh, because in the 70s, uh, they became such an attractive force for for so many American acts. Mm. They got treated well. They It was a nice, mm-hmm. simple process. Uh, they had good marketing, and uh, they, didn't, they didn't get pushed around aesthetically. Uh, it's, you know, if they're invited to do a record, they get to do a record in their own way. Uh, yeah. And initially... ECM was very involved in free jazz. I mean, some pretty far out mm-hmm. stuff. That it's sort of like how that label's aesthetic progressed over the years is almost a, 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 a nice sort of proxy for how jazz as a whole has transitioned mm. over those years. You know? Yeah. But um, yeah. Anyway, back to uh, back to nineteen sixty six yes. in this college. Um. Yeah, so basically you get an entire show. So you get one or two really standout moments, like uh, like the ones we've just played you, uh, Dancing Shadows, like uh, Shadow World, mm-hmm. which has a, a, a quite extraordinary baritone sax solo, Pat Patrick. It's really, really good. Uh, and um, what's the other one? Exotic Forest. That's my favourite on the is, album. Yeah, well, obviously, being the the son of an oboist, I, I have to raise some problems with the actual sound. But, <laughs> but it's not. But, the... I, but I, even even though I hated the uh, the the sound of the oboe, the or the the sound that he was getting out of it, even back then as a teenager, I loved this track just because of its uh, its um, hypnotic quality. Well, the nature of the interplay between the the, the performers. Um, yeah. In the in the middle of it, you sort of realise that the that the reeds. There's like two, I think, two players playing on, on reeds mm. in the middle of it. They basically take over the percussion role while the drummers get to oh. get to you know so like do their flourishes. There's a. It's got yes. It's got a um uh, a, a pulse to it. So mm. for example, we just listened to Dancing Shadows, and it's got this very very uh, bebop drummer. Uh, stuff mm. going on, right? So, and which is something that honestly I find it some on. I often can't even listen to the solos because those drummers are annoying me so much. But the in 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 exotic forest, mm. I think we got multiple percussionists and mm. a couple of reeds players, and they're willing to uh, pare things down and not get so fancy uh, with their syncopated um, bomb droppings. 
so so they're able then to do to uh, to trade off this this role of rhythmic uh, play, um, mm. which is which is really lovely. Um, and it yes, it does have a hypnotic quality to it, and uh, yeah. really, it, it's it's also harmonically uh, simplified, isn't it, relative to the others? Yeah. It's, it, it is quite interesting because it's kind of pointing to uh, to where rock music is going to eventually go. Yeah, with the, the sort of you know this this ostinato going through. It's everything. only got a couple of years till uh, um, yeah. till uh, in a silent way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that as well, and uh, the rest of it is kind of um, all these. These sort of theatrical numbers and uh, the space chants and all the rest of it, which um, although they're, they're quite short, can actually be uh, can actually be, be really quite sort of uh, disconcerting. You know, <laughs> I didn't find them disconcerting. I, I did find them like nice little breathers. You know, mm. um, it's it's part of the why why I feel like it, sunrise. I mean, he's in the intra- he's in the tradition of big bands, no matter what you think. Yes, in the tradition of well, then big he's, bands. And he's, that's in a, the, he's in an older tradition as well, which, which is um, like of of entertainment. I was because getting, you don't just get that's what music. I wanted to say next. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. We are. Uh, it's a this this, this is a, a a sort of pre television world uh, uh sorry pre-television form of entertainment this is this should be fun mm. this should be visual fun it should be musical fun and it should uh challenge but it should at times also be danceable uh we've got yeah. we've got it's it's not you see there's there are there are aspects to to the jazz world and you know people like mm. um coltrane are, are good examples of this where it just gets it's too demanding on the audience, you know, whereas Sun Ra has got all these elements of relief that are built into the night's yeah. structure. Um, and even if you're getting a bit tired of the sounds that you're hearing, at least you get to look at all mm. this with the crazy costumes. And they've often they often had yeah. fancy light show and, and projection stuff going on as well, didn't they? But it was, you know, it came out of a tradition that was basically a dance band thing. So, you know, yeah. this is this is entertainment. This is fun. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think it's also the uh, it's it's part of it, the big part of it is the role that uh, 
that music has uh in in that uh, in that social situation mm. you know it's not just for for listening to or it's not just because you know you want to go to this club because it's hip and this band's playing so you go there because you've read that it's the place to go you know it's um it's, it's being involved in an entire theatrical musical uh mind expanding experience yeah. So, late later on, of course, this got even more involved when he brought on dancers and choreographed the whole thing. It started out with what was known as the Cosmo drama, which was uh, developing, which was showing a, an entire universe in in complete chaos until the until Sun Ra turns up and harmony comes into into the world and everything gets put together. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, there's a thing, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. his, his sort of messianic ambition, mm. right? Or, or is it messianic, or is it some sort of a savior, um, or, or, or angelic? No, not angel. I thought, but, yeah, yes, yes, angelic. He, he, he used to describe himself as an angel. Yeah, um, which is which, which actually makes sense because it's not like he was trying to convert anybody to send to him all their money or, or you know, do no, something it, weird. What I mean is that he, <laughs> seed, he saw himself as having yeah. a, uh, a prophetic uh, mm. uh, role to play. I mean, that's right there in the, in the story of his, um, uh, of his trip to Saturn or whatever planet what yes. he went to, that he, his job is to, so yeah, so the arrival on stage as the bringer of I so yes, you can see how that could expand into a whole bunch of different directions because that's like yeah. a creation myth, isn't it? You've got yes. cha the chaos, yes, and then uh, and then God shapes that into order. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you see, that's that's also what I was saying about uh, you know, imagine that we were actually visited by aliens mm -hmm. and they, they showed us all these ceremonies to explain what was going on mm -hmm. uh, and to do it in a way that we could understand it using music and using dancers and, and, you know, showing us something so that we could understand how the universe functioned. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe Sun Ra was actually the reincarnation hey. of a visitor from a million years ago. Yeah. Just before yeah, yeah. Raquel Walsh, yeah. Yes. And, you know, I mean, if you need proof of this, look at all the stuff that Sun Ra influenced. You know, the ancient Egyptian thing, Earth, Wind and Fire stole it mm -hmm. from yeah. him. Yeah. Michael Jackson's moonwalk was invented by one of uh, one of Sunrise dancers. I mean, the, you, you can pick up all kinds of weird um, things and lead them back to Sunrise. And it, indeed, the even the uh, the Afrofuturism, which is now such a big feature, this is this is Sunrise. Yeah. Have you seen the movie? Not, what uh, space is the place? No, I haven't. It's very confusing, but it has some wonderful live performance footage in it. Uh, so it's definitely mm. worth seeing for that. It's, it's on YouTube. So yeah. you need to log in for age verification. But the, um, 
but it, it's 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 got some cracking con- uh, good stuff in it. Um, yeah. At the same time as being pretty confusing, but there's a uh, there's <laughs> a central to the whole thing is a sen- is essentially a conflict between a force of good uh, from space, mm. which is Sun Ra, who's going to heal the world and take it to a new future in uh, a new future uh, responsibility within the universe through uh, expressing itself with music um, mm-hmm. in conflict in, in you know in actual conflict with a devil character uh, mm. who is extremely <laughs> cool looking i can't say that <laughs> that's one of the things about Sunra. He's not the he's not the prettiest guy, is he? Uh, but they're they've got the most dashing uh, devil for this uh, for this movie, and so the two of them opposite each other uh, in, in drama. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, he had a he had a very uh, interesting relationship with the uh, with with the devil Sunra. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a there's a track called uh, a fireside chat with Lucifer, for instance. And mm. uh, even the, uh, the the track "Angels and Demons" uh, play uh, was because he said that uh, okay, if you're an angel on this earth, that means that you that you fit in with everything on this earth. You're good in the eyes of this earth, and mm. this uh, and the earth is bad. So it's better to be a demon. <laughs> Also, if you want to get into into a lot of this stuff further, I would recommend the poetry. So, what do you think about the influence on Gil Scott Heron? It just occurred to me that 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 may well be there because I mean there was so much um, chanting and declamation uh, with oh, yeah. uh, Sun Ra, and it's got a. Should we talk about the political thing for briefly? Uh, yeah, except the thing is, I think with Gil Scott, I, I think you can't. Uh, the Sun Ra adapted something that was already there. Call and response chanting. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, it's it's been, right. been a big part of black culture. It goes back to churches. It goes back to to Africa actually before that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, I don't I don't think he invented that. He just adapted what was there. No. Yeah. I, I, certainly. Uh, I'm just wondering if there's if, if it seems like there's an influence. You were talking about. Um, you're talking mm. about influences, and there was one other influence I, I, that was seemed obvious to me. Yes, um, George Clinton. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, the political aspect was uh, that that seems interesting to me, and this is where I wonder if um, there's some sort of a a blend of pure, perfect genius and some kind of a weird uh, mystical experience that happened to him when he was young that produced this, uh, this concept of a mythology that is a universal mythology, but is somehow also uh, a black tradition. It's mm-hmm. a, and, and the, what, what interests me about this is that at the, at, it, during the 1960s, which is sort of like the the period where where mm. where Sun Ra really emerges as 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 his own thing, mm. um, and of course he's he's already had an awful lot of experience with yeah. I was, was going to say he's 
is quite a bit older than a lot of the uh, other people who right. he's rubbing shoulders with. Yes. At the time, uh, time that, that, that nothing is was made, he was 52 years old. Mm. What, I, what, I, <laughs> what I'm getting at, though, might not uh, has it, there's a sort of bridge here. Hmm. Excuse me, because in the if we look at it in the political context, huh. uh, there was, and the reason why is because during the 1960s. Why it was still true even in the seventies, there was still a wide belief that culture could affect society. That that by working within culture, you could bring about social change, or you could contribute mm-hmm. to social change. This yeah. uh, actually still existed in some contexts out of outside of jazz music. Uh, even I would say up into the 1990s, some people still believed it. But the, but in the 60s, it was definitely a big thing, uh, and a new a new kind of consciousness could uh, could arise with certain kinds of discipline, and these disciplines could involve cultural practice, artistic practice, mm-hmm. musical practice, and so forth. Yeah, and so the there were a whole bunch of interesting and weird interactions between music, especially black music, therefore jazz music often, and mm. uh, uh, and, and social movements, including uh, black power, including emancipation mm-hmm. movements, um, and the civil rights work. Mm-hmm. And there were, there were, there were trends within these these movements that were all happening simultaneously that were at odds with each other so famously the difficulty between the civil rights movement and the black power movement was that mm-hmm. the black power movement was kind of effectively uh still a segregationist kind of thing it didn't it didn't it wasn't um comfortable with the um with the integration agenda Mm. Uh, that 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 emancipation was there to be um, uh, to be had through the establishment of, uh, mm-hmm. of black identity and black power and black separateness, mm. and that's uh, both sides have a compelling argument, or at least mm. must have had at that time. And uh, yeah. back then, I would have been easily persuaded by either side, and. Sun Ra, it seems to me there's almost a political message of step outside, a genius of stepping yes. outside of the box here yes. by introducing a, a, a body of knowledge that is mystical, that is yeah. outside of the traditions that, I mean, the, the conversations that were all happening here were happening in, those, in, the, in, in that uh, tradition uh, or the modes of thought. That were uh, that 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 were essentially European and modern. Hmm. Uh, so he brought yeah. in. Well, as, as Sun Ra said, uh, as one of the tra- one of the chants says, "We came from nowhere here. Why can't we go somewhere else?" Yeah, that's actually a very modern way of stating it, right? Yeah. But uh, but if you if you if you think about the 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 kinds of ideas that he brought in from these. Um, also, uh, some some of them so like um, you know uh, late ancient uh, what do you call that um, late antiquity the ideas from the late mm-hmm. antiquity 
that got regenerated in theosophy and 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 mm. and, and, and and what um, masonry and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Right, fine. Let's bring this in and 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 set a destination, which is let's hurry up and get off this planet. Yeah. Right. Together in peace and harmony yeah. with the rest of the universe, which sort of reminds me now suddenly of Bill Hicks. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I not thought of that connection before. But you see what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 if, for, if you're a musician, like if you're, a, I mean, if you imagine, no, I, you can't imagine being Sun Ra, but yeah. if you were, <laughs> if, if it, just sort of like think about a, you know, an artist who grew up in the first half of the 20th century, black, poor, mm. in Alabama, yeah. moves yeah. on up to be a, a real force in creative music, uh, to have audiences. And all of this politics of the 1960s going on around you, what a brilliant way of pulling it all together with, without mm. having to state any allegiances to any particular side. Yeah. Um, but being compatible with it all and being compatible with the emancipatory and progressive agendas of both or all. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you've, think you've summarized that pretty well, actually. There, That's, yeah. It, it, it could be uh, a very deliberate work of a, of a genius who saw where it was all going. Yeah. Years, decades before everybody else Absolutely, <laughs> yes. noticed. Well, you see, uh, I think that's the that's the advantage of having a, a perspective uh, from another planet. Yes, and and being the autodidact when he was still a teenager. Yeah, yeah, but you know, the spectator always sees more of the game. Yes, you know? spectator and a little <laughs> and a little bit of an outsider. That's an interesting part of his personal story that yeah. people have related to him as being a bit of a, uh, you know, a bit a bit socially awkward and a bit a bit of an outsider. But on the other hand, how could you be with choosing a career of performing music all the time? Uh, well, such a because weird thing. if you, yeah, uh, well, if you're performing, you don't have to talk. You know, don't have to make small talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I. Uh, yeah. So, okay, just to wrap this up, which version of this should you buy? Well, yes, you could actually uh, go out and get this this CD by uh, the Hat Hot. Uh, Nothing is completed and revisited. Remember, it's not actually complete. Uh, it does give you a good idea of what an evening with Sun Ra was would have been like. Mm. It um, it comes in a in the most like absolutely farcical co paper cover, which has I don't know. Well, hat uh, was hat was always weird with that packaging. Oh my God! But this is this is did just you ever this get, is just Did laughable. you ever get any Hat Hat LPs? No. No, they had a, a a strip that you had to tear off the on corrugated cardboard <sighs> and everything. It's very weird. God, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, if you if you're really going to uh, package up a, a sort of you know completed version of this, I would like you know I would like you to find everybody who was at the gig, <laughs> and then go through them and find out who was taking photographs. 
I mean, they'll, they'll be fairly easy to spot, I think. You know, if you just find people who went to this college in New Jersey and then work out which ones had a complete sudden change of life after 1966. <laughs> Yeah. They're fairly easy to pick out in the crowd. Realistically, <laughs> uh, I mean, the both versions are. Well, sorry, I've got. Um, I think pretty much the same as this CD one um, in in streaming. So you mm. can you can listen in streaming, and uh, nothing yeah. is is there. And also uh, the College Tour Volume One. Uh, the College Tour Volume One is worth it. For that track, nothing is on yeah. the second CD, it, which is absolutely amazing. Anyway, the whole, the whole thing's there uh, too, as oh. well. So, so they're available in streaming if you're not that into well, then again, media. If you actually go into a, a, a second-hand record shop and pick up the vinyl, you won't get um, all of the material on there, and uh, you should start it on side two and then play side one to get the proper sort of run of the of the whole concert but you will get the uh the great sleeve and the poetry right yes the poetry yeah so and, you've got a uh, scan of the poetry that we can put on substack yeah um, yeah good and uh you know that's that's worth uh, that's worth having. I was very disappointed that the CD I bought didn't have the poet, at least the poetry they could have put <sighs> yeah, on we there. Don't, we don't really have any uh, have any more time, but the uh, it I don't know very much about the stuff, but but Sun Ra turned into a, quite the public philosopher later in life, didn't he? Uh, mm. He was he did a a series of lectures at Stanford, uh, which you can. Check, check out on YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. And he became a regular on a radio station in Philadelphia. Yes, uh, that's right. Talking there as well. So um, there's, a, there's that whole dimension that um, mm. somebody, I'm sure, has already explored in podcasts. I hope they do. Well, well you know, for somebody who was supposed to be socially awkward, I think he did pretty well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I mean, quite, quite prepared to put forward rather complicated and, and uh, theories, very confusing theories, um, mm -hmm. and to be very um, bold and clear about his beliefs at the same time. Mm. Uh, he had the most beautiful speaking voice as well. <laughs> it is like a it is a very sort of confident way of speaking at the same time as being quite quiet. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It has certain has a certain authority to it, but it's very soothing. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you you get to enjoy some of that in the movie. But yeah, if if, mm. if you're completely new. Um, to Sun Ra, mm. it's not a bad idea to watch the movie because at least then you get an aspect of the visual, uh, yes. which was uh, which we haven't really touched on much. The um, the stage performances, the costumes, and everything was a was completely unlike anything else, and was huge huge deal. And the other thing we haven't talked about is his his use of noise and or hardly uh, noise and electronics. Uh, which was, yeah. um, you know, an, an element of the uh, of the performance, uh, mm. and, and, and an early adopter of, just, um, you know, just an onslaught of noise, just being something that you have to mm. get through to get to the good bits. Yeah, I mean, an early adopter of all kinds of uh, electronic keyboards. Yeah. 
instruments as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, before before rock groups got to them. Yeah. And there's, uh, I think, on one of the tracks, I think it's, uh, is it Out of Nothingness or something like that on one of these one of the tracks on this there's a there's a wonderful example of how how he can um play uh he he was uh, he, he was very keen on a on a uh, a small keyboard instrument called the solo vox mm-hmm. which was like a, a an extra keyboard that you put on top of the piano mm-hmm. so uh, i i believe it was monophonic as well you couldn't play chords on it and there's a there's a wonderful passage in one of these tracks where he's playing a solo line on this electronic instrument and something completely different on the piano yeah. at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it I is think, interesting how he seems to be very you know a thoroughly rounded competent keyboard player in jazz and probably beyond. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but didn't make a big deal out of that in uh, in in most of the orchestra, well, yeah, uh, I, I, there are some solo piano recordings. Uh, I believe he, he turned up at Montreux and played a whole solo piano set. But um, but then again, uh, nobody made a big deal about Duke Ellington as a pianist. That's also true. Yeah. But he was a he was a fantastic was good, yeah. pianist, yeah. and actually, there's a story about Duke Ellington hearing somebody play a Thelonious Monk record, and saying, "He's just stolen all of my stuff." <laughs> you know, <laughs> so he was actually quite a quite a you know quite a forward looking pianist. Nobody goes on about Count Basie's piano playing, no. which was also brilliant. They go on about the band. Uh, you know, so, but old school big band players, Earl Father Hines was another one who was uh, famous for having an enormous reach with his, uh, you know, he could bridge something like an 11th with his, with his, his hands. Um, all of these guys were, were often quite incredible pianists, but because they were band leaders, nobody ever talked about that. Mm. And so I think there's there's maybe something of that in in Sunra's keyboards yeah. abilities. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right, I'm going to have to go for a. Yep. Fair enough. Uh, I think we've probably Talked long enough, for God's sake. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a, it's an evening filling subject. <laughs> well, yeah, you might have to cut some of this down. Thank you. 